Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. On today's show, we have some breaking Aaron Judge injury news. We're going to talk about extensions for Yohan Moncada and Christian Yelich. An interesting thing, the Rockies are trying, some managerial reactions to the three-batter minimum rule, and we're going to dig into the MLB.com vault, which is a game that you can play and win, and uh, we'll maybe put some data into it. StatCast is powered by Google Cloud. That's a new thing. Welcome, Google. Um, breaking news out of Florida. This is the Aaron Judge injury news. We know he's been banged up. Brian Hoke, our MLB.com Yankees reporter, uh, reported that uh, manager Aaron Boone said that Judge has a stress fracture in his first right rib. They are going to try two weeks of rest, but surgery is not off the table. That sounds like good news. Nothing bad could come from that. Uh, Boone says he believes it dates to an outfield dive from last September. I went and I tried to find it. I think I did in the fifth inning of a game on September 18th. He dove for an Albert Pujols ball. He did not make the play, and he was out the next day. They said it was a jammed shoulder at the time. Sure seems that after months and months and months, this is still bothering him. I'm sure that after two weeks of rest, everything will be fine. Do you agree? Um, <laughs> of course not. Not given the um, the path for uh, Aaron Judge the last couple of seasons. You know, After that breakout year in 2017, he's been excellent when he's been on the field, but he's missed you know significant time in uh, – in the last two seasons, 112 games in 2018, 102 games last year. Um, at this point, you know, it's hard to know how many games he's going to play this year. We talked on last week's podcast about um, the trouble he and uh, teammate Giancarlo Stanton have had, the trouble they've had staying healthy, which um, I think it's hard to say. It's obvious. I should say it seems apparent that it's uh, can be attributed to somewhat to their atypical size for a baseball player. And now, I mean, with, with Judge, um, if he has to wait two weeks and then have surgery – who knows when he's going to be in a game again? We talked up the Rays as a real threat to the Yankees last week, and it seems like they're that much more of a threat now this week. Uh, Aaron Judge is going to be 28 years old in a couple of weeks. Next month, he has one career season of 500 play appearances to his name. I would say this season is in peril for that. Now, if Judge is out, and you certainly can't trust Stan, and Aaron Hicks is injured, a potential Yankee opening day outfield could look like this. Miguel Andujar in left, Brett Gardner or Mike Talkman in center. Clint Frazier and right. I know that probably won't happen. I'm sure one of those guys will DH and both Gardner and Toffman will play. Uh, but it could happen. And I don't know. I find I'm not a Yankee fan. I find this entertaining. <laughs> I mean, they, they certainly have. I mean, it's it's interesting depth, right? Like Clint Frazier can still hit. I don't want him in the outfield, but like they have guys to. They have some patchwork names. Um, you know, Mike Talkman. He's one of those kind of unknowns. Like what I mean, he was so good last year on offense and defense. I presume the defense will probably carry over because defense is not quite as – it doesn't tend to vary as much as offense. But, like, do you really have that much faith in him as coming back and hitting like he did last year? Uh, not really. We talked about the Yankees a lot last week. But before we move on, the wind whispers one name, and that name is Puig. <laughs> Who doesn't want Puig in pinstripes? Um, I sure do. But, I uh, want Puig in pinstripes. It's kind of amazing. He's still, he's still, he's still a free agent. Um, I – yeah, it's not. You can't say, "Oh, the market like last winter," because everybody else is signed. It just, um, he it's, seems like he wants a perfect fit. Maybe I think it's a weird one. There was a, a good um, a good piece in Joe Sheehan's newsletter about this, where he sort of broke it down, where it's like, okay, well, he can't really play center field, and so you're looking at a right right corner outfielder who, despite his like, even though he has had reverse splits in his career, no one's gonna, no one, no one's gonna. No one's going to treat those as real. Like if you bring him in, he's probably going to be more of a platoon player. So it's sort of like there's not a clear slot for him as a starting corner outfielder on a, on a contender. 
So it's sort of like, well, what's – and then he probably sees himself more as like – I mean – He's only been an average player for like the last exactly. Three exactly. So it just seems this definitely seems one there could be a big disconnect between perception and reality. I, I imagine there's also some teams who correctly or incorrectly just don't want what they perceive to be the headache of Puig. I don't think that's fair unless you're the Pirates, in which case I could see him <laughs> not fitting in there. Um, but uh, another there's the other big baseball news the last couple of days has been these two contract extensions you mentioned. You know, Mancata gets five years and seventy million dollars. Uh, an agreement with the White Sox and Christian Yelich gets uh, $215 million, is that right? $215 million, but that is tacked on to his remaining two years of his contract. So let's, let's do Moncada first, right? Uh, five years and $70 million, uh, with a $25 million option for 2025, which if he plays like he did last year, they'll absolutely pick up. There's all sorts of uh, incentives and escalators. So if he maxes all this out, it could go up to $92 million. This accounts for his final pre-arbitration season, which is this season three years of arbitration and then buying out one year of free agency. Those are all very important things because if he was a free agent right now at his age, he would obviously make a considerable amount more than that. But, you know, pre-arb and arbitration, there's basically limits to what a guy will make. So this seems under the, the constraints that he is living under a fairish deal to me. Um, you know, he's had this one great year. Like, step back for a second. Number one overall prospect, right? Everybody hyped him up was a big part of the Chris Sale trade. Um, now that Sale is injured, I don't. It, it it looks like a worse trade for the Red Sox, but they got their ring, so I think they'll be fine with it. <laughs> yeah, for, of course. So they'll, they'll never see that trade as like a, a losing trade for them. There was something sort of uh, I don't know if poetic is the right word about how he literally got this uh, the announcement, the, the word leaked of his contract extension on the same day where where Chris Sale had a press conference where he was basically like, yeah, like, I feel lost. I don't know what's happening in my career. Oof. He's got like, you know, three, he had said three opinions on his elbow. Like who knows how many innings uh, he's going to pitch this year. But, you know, for Mankata, for the, the, the White Sox, that trade has worked out as well as they possibly could have hoped. They sold high on Chris Sale. The Red Sox obviously got some good years out of it. Um, and the White Sox are, you know, they're, they're kind of like the new, this is like the, this like, strategy of signing all your young stars, locking them up really early, kind of was popularized in the mid-90s by the Indians um, when they had their, kind of, I wouldn't say dynasty, but like their like run of dominance in the AL Central when they moved into Jacob Field with Albert Bell, uh, Carlos Baerga, Kenny Lofton, Tome, Manny. <laughs> and they, you know, a number of those guys, they signed to like club-friendly extension. Look at what the, what the White Sox have done. They locked up um, – uh, Louis, Louis Robert. Louis Robert before he even played a game yeah. in the major. Same with Eloy Jimenez. They locked him up before he even uh, played a right. yeah. game. Last year, anyway. And they also gave Aaron Bummer a five-year deal yeah. for 16 Aaron years. Bummer, look at that. <laughs> so um, it's um, it's an interesting strategy. They, in addition to going out and signing Grandal, Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel to long-term deals this offseason, but neither of them is like you know crazy money. We're talking like $18 million average annual value on those deals. So this is a team with some like star-level talent but also some a reasonable long-term payroll of like good players locked up. This is, I'm not sure what the right way to phrase this is. Like everybody hates uh, the plague of tanking, right? Like it's been a big problem in baseball over the last few years, but this is, if you're going to do it, this sort of seems like the way it's supposed to work, right? You are then supposed to turn around and spend money to get guys and improve your team and go in. Um, like if you were to tell the White Sox like four years ago when they blew it all up and they traded sale, and who am I forgetting? Adam Eaton, uh, Robertson, and, and Todd Frazier, all yeah. those guys. Uh, that like four years later, 
most of those trades would have paid off. Like, yeah, they got Giolito in the Eaton deal. Uh, I can't remember what they got in the Frazier deal, but I don't. Oh, it was the Robertson deal. All right. So they got like Blake Rutherford never really panned out and whoever they got from the Yankees. Most of that didn't really pan out. But anyway, if, if you said to them, hey, uh, in a couple of years, this is where you'll be and you'll be ready to go big and you will start doing it and you won't be the favorite in the central, but you'll be well positioned for the next three, four, five, six years. I, I feel like that's something you might have uh, taken because the whole stars and scrubs thing, like that team was the the peak of stars and scrubs, right? If you were just like to rank teams by their core of like five dudes, the, like the 2015 White Sox would have been awesome. But there's like 20 oh, other Russell, guys. It was, it was Sale and... Jose Quintana. That's the one I forgot okay. too. Jose because they had Sale, Quintana, Frazier, like Robertson in the bullpen, Eaton in the outfield. Um, we, we later learned uh, Eaton and, and Todd Frazier kind of hate each other, right? Because <laughs> I remember that Sale like started cutting up the jerseys and everything. It might not have been the best locker room, but they, you know, they blew it up and here they are. It's, it's been a kind of an interesting transition for them. And with, I mean, with... Um... With you know, with the Indians, I can't remember if this happened before our last podcast or not. But the Indians having another injury uh, this week with uh, Emmanuel Class A getting the, the the big haul in the um, Corey Kluber deal. The Corey Kluber deal. Are you with, put, are you putting down Delano De Shields? Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm saying he was the main, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying he was the main haul of the deal. He's out uh, eight to twelve weeks. So yeah. I, the AL is actually kind of I think it's kind of wide open for the wild card. I think I would I, I don't expect the White Sox to compete. I want to talk a little bit more Mankata um, before we move on to Yelich, but like I wouldn't expect the White Sox to compete, um, but I will not be surprised. For the wild card. Because I'm, I'm actually like pretty high on the Twins now. Even over the last couple weeks, my opinion of the Twins has improved by kind uh, of a lot. Um, back to Mankata for a second. What fascinates me about him is like you could totally make – there's like a couple of like – you could make cases that he's like about to emerge as a superstar. You can also make a case that last year was – a little bit of a fluke. The reason I, I say the fluke is because you look at his batting average on balls in play, which was literally one of the highest in baseball history. His batting average on balls in play last year was 406, which going back to integration was the second. Um, <laughs> so the second since, since integration. Yeah, I, I have the list here since uh, like 1901, right? Uh, it was the ninth highest of any qualified player since 1901. Now, for those who don't know, batting average in balls in play for years has been kind of looked at as maybe a indicator of luck. You know, if you he had a 406, right? When when he hit the ball in play, so not homers, not strikeouts, not walks, he had a 406 batting average, which is insanely high. Um, and usually you say that, oh well, that's he got good bounces. It can't sustain. To a certain extent, that's true. However, the other names on this list I have here are absolutely absurd. A lot of them are back into you know 1910s and 20s, where maybe defenses weren't what they are now. But uh, literally, Babe Ruth is at the top. George Sizzler, Rogers Hornsby, Ty Cobb, Harry Heilman, Rod Carew. These are legitimately all Hall of Famers. I, I agree with you that it's hard to look at this 406 BABIP and say, yeah, that's fine. It, it'll sustain. But also, uh, 97th percentile exit velocity, 72nd percentile sprint speed. He crushes the ball, and he runs fast. I'm, I'm buying not all-time elite great, but above average? Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. That's and I'm actually I'm, – I, I think that, like, you know, you look at his expected batting average by – by Statcast, which you know takes in exit velocity and launch angle, and he was not it was 90th percentile last year. So like yeah, you know he did he hit 315, but like that's kind of in line with you know that's like a 90th percentile batting average. Maybe it's a 95th percentile batting average. It's pretty funny. I'd run this query um, looking only at integration because I wanted to see more recent names. What's wild is that two of the top six were on the 2019 White Sox. Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson. Yeah. Um, so it should also be mentioned that last year, uh, Mankata moved 
defensive positions. You know, he, he had been a second baseman previously. And so we have, you know, infield outs above average now in 2018 minus 14 at second base, which is obviously pretty poor. It moves to third base last year, plus five. And I remember, I can't remember under what context we did this. If I read it somewhere, I think maybe I was in the room when we asked uh, Rich Renteria, the manager, and he said something along the lines of, we think he's better at third because uh, there's less time to think. You know, he's more of like a reaction-based player. It's up on him. He's so like, skillful that that works better for him. And the numbers bear that out. He's he's a pretty good defensive third baseman. And he's only, what, 25 years old? Like, I'm, I'm buying him as one of the... 15 or 20 or so best players in game. Yeah. I mean, I remember being at uh, the futures game in 2016 when he was like, it was in San Diego. That was like his, like he was like the top prospect in baseball. And, you know, it's, it's always kind of have a bias because it was one of those where even amongst the top prospects, and it was obviously just one game. It was like, Oh, okay. This, I get it. Like, just like the eye test was like, so apparent that, you know, in, in batting practice and the game, it's like, okay, this is, this is a guy. And, um, Last year, we finally saw that. And before we move on to Yelich, I'll note that actually Fangraph's uh, standings projections are probably even more bullish on the White Sox than I am. They've got the White Sox at 84 wins and a um, a 27% chance of making the playoffs, which I think is a little high. I'll buy but... the 84 because there's two teams in that division that are basically non-competitive. The Indians seem like they could easily have a lot of problems. Um, and, you know, the, the traditional powers like Boston. I don't know who's pitching for Boston right now. I'll buy 84 with a lot of variance in either direction. Um Speaking of variants in, in other direction, the Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Kristen Yelich signed an extension, nine years, $215 million. That is seven years and $188.5 million of new money. You may remember that he had previously, when he was still with Miami, signed uh, what now looks like a laughably low deal of seven years, and I think it was $49 million. I'm certainly not going to get on a guy for taking life-changing money when you're 24 or whatever. It, it was also after his first full season in the majors, and like he looked at the time he looked like more – Good, not yeah. great. I mean, if, if you go back to like the early year, like the first year of StatCast, first two years of StatCast, Yelich was like one of the lowest average launch angle guys in baseball. And it was like, you know, who's, you know, he seems like he could be so much more. He's a good player. He seems like he could be so much more. But uh, and then he went to Milwaukee and it was like, oh, yeah, this guy's a super duper star. This guy is a monster. Um, so that is, you know, he had the, the these two years, like, like the total dollar seems maybe relatively low. Or what he's done the last two years, but it's not a free agent extent. It's not a free agent contract right now. It is an extension that starts at age thirty, right? That's he, where the new money's coming. Because he had he had two years left and a team option, so especially they this had him for three more years. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I don't know about the team option, but anyway, the team, op- and the team option was higher, but it was still like twelve million, twelve million, like seventeen million. It was like an obvious an option that obviously would have been picked up. So. Yes. Um, I, I thought this was interesting. At Fangraphs, Craig Edwards went to tr- try to find uh, previous versions of. Kristen Yelich to see like how they aged over the years. So he went back to 1969. He looked at outfielders who uh, had between 20 and 30 career wins above replacement between the ages of 24 and 27 years old. That's all Kristen Yelich. And who are also within plus or minus uh, 25 defensive runs of his minus five. He's not a great defensive outfielder. The stat cast outs of average metrics uh, suggest that as well. Uh, and he removed players who didn't have like a star level season at age 27 as Yelich just did. The names he came up with, are very impressive. Uh, Ricky Henderson, Andrew McCutcheon, Tim Raines, Dave Parker, Tony Gwynn, Bobby Bonds, Vlad Sr., Lance Berkman, Reggie Jackson, Dave Winfield, Dale Murphy. That's a list you want to be a part of. <laughs> like, like I, I'm, you know, you look at, like you said, his first four or so years were like, fine. They were good. They weren't fantastic. And then the last two years have been monstrous. And my favorite thing about him is he insists, like in every article or televised interview or whatever, he's like, I'm not a launch angle. 
You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be part of the launch angle revolution. I'm not, you know, Daniel Murphy or Josh Donaldson or whatever. Uh, and yet, if you look at the numbers, the ground ball rate has dropped for like five years in a row. In, in 2015, for example, his launch angle was, wait for it, zero. It was literally zero. If I recall correctly, um, Billy Hamilton was the only qualifier who had a lower launch angle than he did. Yes, and what zero means is uh, it's basically just right back at the pitcher. You know, we, we kind of look at 10 to 25 degrees uh, as a line drive and 25 to you know 40 as a, as a fly ball. And so he was zero in 2015, and, he and hit, last year he was up to 11 degrees. And like in 2015, he hit 300, 366, 416. So it's like, okay, this guy hits for average. Um, he gets on base. You know, he steals bases at a reasonable clip. He's a pretty good outfielder. Like, oh, this is a good player. That's like why he got a seven-year deal for yeah. $49 million. And, and, you know, part of it is it's much easier to hit in Milwaukee than Miami. I'm sure that's a little bit of it. But it, what I think is interesting about him is – um, he clearly made some sort of change. Whether he'll admit to it or not, it doesn't matter. You know, the ground ball rate has dropped. Uh, the air ball rate has gone up. But we've seen guys do that and pay a little bit of a price, you know, because your swing changes. So maybe you, uh, you know, you strike out more. Or you, you know, you're not hitting as hard. Uh, it's not exact. It's not what happened to him. If you look at the last four years, his hard hit rate has stayed almost incredibly consistent, about 49 to 50 percent every single year. Uh, his ground ball rate has dropped, but his strikeout rate has stayed incredibly consistent, 19 or 20 percent. Every year, so he pulled off the neat trick of continuing to hit the ball hard, hitting it hard in the air, and not paying for it with more strikeouts. It's funny how those things work together <laughs> to make you an MVP. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm I'm like the defense stuff. I'm not sure if it was just a fluke last year, or maybe like literally the Brewers were like, "You're too good, don't get hurt, like don't dive." Basically, because if you look at like if you look at his sprint speed over the course of his career, it stayed pretty steady. In 2015, his his average sprint speed was 28.8 feet per second. Um, last year, it was 28.7 feet per second. And in 2016, 2017, and 2018, in terms of outs above average, our defensive metric, um, he was above average in every year, as high as plus six in 2016 and, and as low as plus one in 2017. Last year, he was minus four. So I'm more inclined to believe that like he's a fine, you know, like average defender that maybe like they're just like, it's not worth it. Remember, it just sort of reminds me of Bryce Harper two years ago before his free agent year where like suddenly his like defensive metrics tanked. And I think there's reason to believe that basically he was like, this is my walk year. I got to stay in the Yeah, field. I don't think he's a bad outfielder. I just like, if I think about the guys who are next in line behind Mike Trout, you know, for number two, I have three names, Betts, Bellinger, and, and Yelich, right? And those are the two guys I think are very good defenders. And that's that's what sets them apart. That's fair. From Yelich for me. Um, I wanted to just quickly, I don't want to spend too much time on the Rockies here, but I, I Found this article really interesting um, about what the Rockies are trying to do. But a very quick Rockies side note, Tony Walters, I believe, is personally trolling all of us uh, for what he did in in spring training the other day. Uh, Tony Walters has gone. He's their catcher. He has no power whatsoever. He has gone 447 consecutive plate appearances without a barrel. If you know what a barrel is, it's the perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle. The top guys get like 75 or 80 in a season. He had zero last year. He has had 10 in nearly 800 career batted balls. He hasn't had one in more than a season and a half. Yesterday, uh, in the bottom of the third inning, and I should note, there's only one Arizona park that has the StatCast tracking technology, and he plays in it. Tony Walters hit a barrel, and it was a 102 degree, 102 miles an hour, 27 degrees home run. It doesn't count. It's spring training. Nothing counts. Uh, but I, I found that entertaining. So that's one of our favorite uh, you know, StatCast go-tos, StatCast powered by Google Cloud, that Tony Walters has not had a barrel. Anyway. 
the Rockies. I want to just do this very quickly because you've all heard this story before. Uh, you all know about the Coors Field effect. It is not only uh, a boost to play at Coors Field. It hurts you on the road. The pitches move differently. It's hard to get there. The, the easiest way to explain that is over the last 10 seasons, the Rockies offense has scored uh, the most runs in baseball at home, 4,728. The most runs at home by nearly 500 runs over the second place Red Sox. At the same time, on the road, they have scored the fewest runs, just 3,017 last by nearly 200 runs behind the Marlins. So the only the only way to read that is there's only two ways to read that. They are the worst hitting team in baseball, uh, but they are boosted to best by Coors Field, seems unlikely, or there's something about the park that helps them at home and hurts them on the road. Right. This is that well is, I mean, that is that 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 stat is that is wild. Seventeen hundred <laughs> runs. So crazy. That's and, an average of one hundred and seventy runs per year. Yes. Uh, last year, some examples. Charlie Blackman had an OPS at home of one thousand one hundred and seventy four, which is like peak Mickey Mantle on the road. Seven thirty two. Uh, Trevor Story had a gap of like three hundred points. OPS. You know all this. You know what it's like to hit a course field. Anyway, um, there is a really fantastic story by Nick Roke in The Athletic that I thought was super interesting where last year the Rockies came here to play the Yankees, which I remember. I took my son to go see one of those games. And uh, Blackman kind of, you know, like lost it, not in a, not in a rude way or anything. He's just like, why, why can't we do this? I'm watching my boy DJ LeMahieu here in the Yankee Stadium, like killing everybody. And uh, this is a quote from Blackman. He's like, it's very hard to have a ball act a certain way at altitude and then have it act noticeably different the next day when we go on the road. It's an adjustment no other team really makes in the big leagues. It's something that is unique to us. Totally fair. Charlie Blackman. Uh, is an intelligent guy. He's you know one of the more thoughtful players in baseball. So, and uh, I remember our own Thomas Harding tweeted out a picture of this a couple weeks ago. This this machine. It's like a it's a it's a batting practice machine, but you can set it not only to uh, your own pitch speed, but also spin rate and spin direction. And what Blackman started doing was on the first day of road trips for the rest of the year, he would go and set that to match that day's starting pitcher, like a pre-batting practice batting practice, you know, to try to get that weirdo adjustment period out of the way. And um, as as Nick Roke reported, expected slugging became a key metric that they would look at. That's cool. That's that's a stack cast metric based on, you know, how hard, how far, forgetting if a defense robbed you, whatever. Um, Charlie Blackman, so before and after this, this New York road trip, if you look at his road expected slugging, had a difference of nearly 90 points. Uh, Arenado was plus 30 points. McMahon nearly plus 100 points of expected. It's like, no, it's not across the board. Uh, Trevor Story actually got a little worse. <laughs> Tony Walters got a little worse. Ian Desmond got way worse. Uh, as a team, they went from worst to third worst. So I don't think this is like the magic secret sauce, but I, I find it a fascinating way to overcome something that's very clearly real. And it's interesting to me that the, that it was a player who thought of it and not like the team going, hey, we came up with this, but it's like, Spearheaded by Charlie Blackman. Um, well, we can we can we can monitor them now all year, knowing that like see if there's any see if like the gap is different than it has been in uh, in past. Years. I can confirm that I will be monitoring the Rockies <laughs> yes. all year. Us talk about the Rockies? No, we yes we know where the clicks are. Um, one of the new rules I, we went through all the new rules a couple weeks ago is the three batter minimum. Um, I've been pretty clear that I really like it. I, I know people are like, well, it's not going to save any time. It's, it's not supposed to save time. It's supposed to eliminate dead time, right? It's just, it's the worst to see managers come out and do a pitching change. And there comes a commercial. You get it. Uh, Jason Stark, you know, also at the athletic talked to a bunch of managers. And uh, there were a couple quotes that stood out to Matt and I, we might as well just stick with the Rockies, right? Let's mm-hmm. do Bud Black first. Cause this was the one that stood out to me the most. 
Um, Bud Black said, and I quote, a team should be able to do what they want with their players. No, no, <laughs> no. You, there are rules to playing a sport. Bud Black is not allowed to have Nolan Arenado hit in every single lineup order. You cannot have 11 fielders on the field. There, there are rules that everybody needs to – you cannot do whatever you want. In fact, there actually is a rule. There already was a rule that if a pitcher came into a game, he had to face at least one batter. There already yes. was like a batter minimum rule. Yes, right. You know, you can't have John Gray pitch five innings and then leave and then bring him back in for the night. There are rules that you all have to live by. Uh, Joe Madden of the Angels said, you're going to be put in situations that you never, ever wanted to be in and you worked hard not to be in. Sure. Cool. Uh, and then Tori Lovello of the Diamondbacks said, it's not going to be as simple as people think. I think that's all true. Um, the one thing I push back a lot on is people say, well, it removes strategy. Uh, I never thought it was that strategic to say, well, there's a lefty. Bring in the lefty. You know, now that there's cool. And, and Jason does a great job of going through all the things. He talked to David Ross. It's like, might be an increase in intentional walks, which is kind of cool. There's a, there's a lot of thoughtful math that has to go into this, right? Like, for example, uh, people have said, okay, you'll, you'll use the intentional walk because that counts as one of your guys. If you want to, like, speed along your reliever to get to his three batter minimum. Um, but then you got to really think about it. What is the run value of putting a guy on first base versus having a slightly pl- worse platoon matchup than you actually wanted in the first place? You know, it's it's fascinating. There's, there's a lot of stuff, and we I think we talked about one where maybe you'd like um, bring, was it? With, I think we talked about this one a couple weeks ago. We talked about like um, bringing in, oh, bringing uh, in, 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 mid, in the batter mid batter pitching change, batter pitching change yeah. if you get in a favorable count. So there's lots of little wrinkles. Honestly, to me, some of them may end up like you know, there's unintended consequences happen. Um, there's going to be teams are going to try to exploit this. I mean, one thing that Stark's piece hammers home is, um, and it didn't really hit it, and it sort of you know crystallized in my mind is the Rays, right? We've talked about how the Rays have built this deep lineup with all sorts of platoon possibilities, where it's like it seems like their roster was actually built entirely with this in mind that they were like really going to try and maximize matchups. Um, and it got me thinking, like, hmm, I wonder what the record is for pinch hits. For an American League team, in, pinch hits or pinch hit appearances, pinch hit, pinch hit appearances, pinch hit attempts in Major League team uh, for an American League team um, in history. Obviously, uh, for in the National League, you get a lot more pinch hits, pinch hit appearances, simply because the pitcher hits and you pinch it for the pitcher uh, very regularly. Well, as it turns out, in 2019, guess who led the American League in pinch pinch hit appearances? Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay Rays. I'm shocked by that. They had 129. Pinch hit plate appearances. The Yankees were 15th with 57. Um, and then it got me curious, what is the all-time record? Because I think there's a very good chance that the Rays will well, – my, my mind, I was like, well, maybe the Rays will challenge that this year. Turns out the all-time record um, for an American League team in terms of pinch hit appearances, granted this data only goes back to 1974, so I should say on record, um, the 1982 Toronto Blue Jays. Ah, uh, yes, I have <laughs> – Many fond memories of that particular team. Um, that team featured featured um, Dave Steve. I guess Dave was Steve there, was yeah. the Dave Steve was the ace in that team. Went seventeen and fourteen with a three two five ERA, two hundred and eighty eight innings pitched, one hundred forty one strikeouts. <laughs> it is safe to say um, baseball has changed a bit. That team also had Rance Mullenix on its team, wow. which to me is like the all time best baseball name. Rance Mullenix. Um, anyway, the so three hundred four is the is the target to reach. It is actually kind of hard to imagine that the Rays will actually double the number of pinch hit. Um, I, would, I wouldn't put anything past appearances, that. but I mean, when you consider the extra man on the roster, there's now 26 man, so there's actually a lot more flexibility to pinch hit. Um, and the fact that they have a lineup full, a roster full of platoons, they're going to aggressively. You will see some 
pinch hit, probably, you'll probably see pinch hit appearances from them in like the fourth and fifth inning, which is something you've never seen before. Um, I, I, to me, I, I love that. I think I said this on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I kind of love the idea. I love it when you end up in a situation where a great hitter gets matched up with a platoon advantage against a mediocre reliever. I think there's something fun about that. There's like this excitement, like, okay, we know this guy's probably going to hit the ball hard. It's just a matter of where he hits it. I kind of, I like that drama. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about the Rays roster, and the only guy I can think of who is like a, a sort of unquestioned everyday starter is probably Willie Adamas, you know, just because I don't, I can't really think of like a backup shortstop type. They're not going to have, you know, Robertson or Wendell play shortstop, really. I would have said Kiermaier in the past, but not with Manny Margot around. He's there specifically to do that. Uh, the other thing about the three batter minimum I hear people talk about is, so, you know, what happens if, your guy clearly doesn't have it and he gets lit up for the first two batters and then he has to stay in for the third and lose the game. And I'm like, yeah, get, get some outs. <laughs> like you're a major league pitcher. That's, that is what you are there for. Um, I think it's going to be fun to see this one play out. I think we'll hear a ton of complaints about it for the first three weeks of the season. And then we'll probably forget we ever had complaints about it by the end of the season. It seems to me how these, it's not going to make a huge difference. Um, um, that's usually uh, how these things go. And if you're curious, the last American league team to surpass 200, Pitch hit plate appearances in a season was, of course, the 2015 Tampa Bay Rays. I, I wasn't curious, <laughs> but thank you. Uh, we are going to end with something I think a little interesting that we haven't really done on the show before. The Vault, MLB.com slash the dash vault. Uh, it's a new uh, contest. It's coming out. It is. Oh, it's not coming out. It's out. Well, it's out. Uh, it's maybe the longest term contest that I can think of. The, the game here is. Uh, you are being asked to predict who will lead the next decade from 2020 to 2029 in nine different categories, and you could win $1 million. Now, Matt and I obviously cannot win this. We work here. Uh, but you, as the fine listeners of this show, can and should go and enter this. And please, if for some reason we're still doing this podcast a decade from now, check back in with us if you are a listener and you won. I would really appreciate that. Uh, the categories are home runs, hits, pitcher wins. Yes, I know. Strikeouts. Cy Young's team wins, World Series team wins, MVPs, and All-Star games. Um, it's it's pretty fun. You can go and there's a pre-populated list, or you can also go and write in your own categories. Uh, as I saw, our friends from the Cespedes Family Barbecue wrote in Ioannis' half-brother <laughs> for all the categories and selected the Baltimore Orioles to win the most uh, World Series. Um, so it's kind of cool because I thought, well, we're sitting here and we can look ahead at who we think might win those categories for the upcoming decade, but we also know who just did it for the last decade. Um, and I don't know, there's, I don't want to say like remember some guys because some of these guys are still playing, but it sort of feels like remember <laughs> some guys. Um, I, you know, we could probably spend an hour going through every category, but we're going to, we're going to do this somewhat quickly here. Um, home runs. This is my favorite one because the guy who led last decade in home runs was already like 28 and had had one good year at this point. It's Nelson Cruz. <laughs> yeah, and the, you know, we'll, we'll also mention that um, uh, MLB.com's Andrew Simon did a piece uh, uh, that went live uh, today, Friday, as we're recording, in which he kind of looked at some sleepers in each of these categories, basically using Nelson Cruz's jumping off point. Like, well, in 2010, you never would have guessed that Nelson Cruz um, would have led the next decade in home runs. Who are some players for each category that, like, you wouldn't really expect? who are contenders to have a Nelson Cruz-esque renaissance. As I, I looked at his article for each category, and I'm like, okay, this makes sense, makes sense. And then I got to pitcher wins, and I, I thought the whole thing was a typo until I realized <laughs> what he was doing. Yep, but we'll get to that one. Um, okay, home runs. Vlad uh, Vlad Jr. was my choice. Um, he's not 21 for another week. He had three of last year's five hardest hit balls. I don't care that he's a DH or is going to be a DH. We're just talking about Nelson Cruz. 
home runs. Vlad Jr., I need young and talented. And that's, I mean, that, for my pick, that's why I went with Eloy Jimenez for kind of some of the same reasons. Um, I think that he's going to basically develop into essentially just like a DH type, so it'll be easier for him to stay healthy. And um, granted, Vlad Jr. will probably also be <laughs> a DH type. Eloy Jimenez, and I mean, even last year, Jimenez kind of was, you know, I wouldn't say home run or nothing, but, you know, that was his, – his carrying tool was home runs. So I think that uh, – I actually – of all my categories, this is the one I actually feel strongest about. Oh, I, I can't believe you said that based on the one we're just about to get to. Remember, <laughs> this is uh, The Vault at MLB.com. You can go play this game. Uh, hits, the uh, the actual for the last decade. Robinson Cano led in hits with nearly 1,700. I went with Juan Soto, uh, just 21, already off to a fantastic start. I, you know, if you're here already and you're young and you're talented, those feel like safe bets. Although I'm going to – Break that rule in a minute. Um, Matt went with, wait for it. I wish I had sound effects. Drum roll, please. Luis Arise. There it is. Luis Arise. I think he's probably a bit, maybe more of the sleeper variety, um, but he's young, um, so maybe not. Because, um, you know, he doesn't turn 23 until April. The reason I picked him, um, also because he's sort of like just one of my personal favorite players, is that he's kind of a throwback. He's like a, very much a batting average first kind of player. And so I could see him sticking around in a way where he just like, gets 180, 200 hits every year, not necessarily in the same way that last decade Elvis Andrus was fifth in hits um, because he just, he, he, you know, he debuted, he was like 22. At 20, yeah. yeah. He's so like, it's, it's a similar kind of thing where I just think he's a, a player whose strength is getting base hits and he's now 23. He's going to stick around. Um, whereas guys like Juan Soto and some of the other like great young players, I think as they get older, want to drawing more walks just because like, Teams will pitch around them. Luis Arise could be the right answer, and he could also be a guy we look back on in eight years going, who? What? <laughs> this is this is oh. true. Uh, pitcher wins. Yes, no, pitcher wins. Uh, well, Schurz- no, wait, the, 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 and let's mention uh, Simon Sleepers, which I think has some interesting names for this one, all of whom were kind of post-type sleeper prospects. Uh, Victor Robles, Alberto Montesi, and um, Ahmed Rosario. I think I'd probably take Rosario of that group just because he's shown the most sort of improvement as like a, a hitter for average. But um, uh, we'll see. Uh, anyway, so pitcher uh, wins. Uh, wins. Max Scherzer had 161, one more than Justin Verlander. Uh, I went with Walker Bueller, and that's for a couple of reasons. He reminds me of Scherzer in a lot of ways. You know the way he pitches, uh, and you know Scherzer entered last decade at 25 years old, just as Bueller will. And also, the Dodgers are going to be really good. They're going to score a lot of runs. I know Bueller might not be there for a whole decade, but pitcher, it's team wins. Really, you got to you got to have support. Um, the reason I didn't go with Bueller and I went with Jack Flaherty instead is because I think they, because of just how the Dodgers run their team and that they're like, they'll have quick hooks. They're not a team that like, they're, they're very, they won't be sympathetic about pitcher wins, I feel like in a weird way. Okay. Um, and I think that that actually might, might, might quote unquote cost Bueller some wins compared to some other organizations. So I went with Flaherty. I do think, I'm not sure exactly, uh, the Cardinals may be actually heading into it like a dark period, so that um, never that, that, that might hurt his um, hurt his uh, upside as, as um, from uh, from from Winter's perspective. But so, uh, so Simon Andrew Simon's sleepers, uh, he said Zach Greinke, Jay Happ, and Anibal Sanchez, who are all thirty six to thirty seven years old. I'm I'm, like, I'm sorry, we're talking about the upcoming decade, right? What are you doing? What happened here? And then I realized what he was up to. Uh, the pitcher with the most wins in the decade of the the first decade of this century. He, 2000s. I think he was third. Uh, By the way, he's still impressive. Jamie Moyer. Yeah, Jamie Moyer was third in the 2000s. Okay, well, starting at age 37. Um, that's not going to happen, but I appreciate this. Uh, strikeouts last decade was Max Scherzer. We both went with Walker Bueller. Um, for I said for pretty much all the reasons he's going to get the most wins. 
Um, and then I figured, you know, we went to Cy Young's, Scherzer and Kershaw both have three. I went with Walker Bueller again, and, you know, I had to give Andrew like a little write-up, and this is exactly what I said. I'm exhausted of saying he's good, but also how do I say he has the most wins and whiffs and not go with him here? It'll probably be like, I don't know, Spencer Howard. <laughs> um, yes, for guys, I'm, 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 I'm Bueller all the way. Um, Cy Young's, I went with Flaherty, maybe just to be – to be different, I also think, you know, there's, there's that Cardinals, there's that Cardinals mojo kind of thing. I just, you know, I mean, the thing about Cy Young's is like, actually, you could argue that, you know, it's hard to win more than two in a decade. Like, you could argue that, like, you know, DeGrom is just as good as a, good of a pick, just like, because for the next, you know, three or four years, he's probably as much of a favorite as anyone. So this is one where, like, is one where, like, youth isn't necessarily as much of a, um, like a, a necessity in my mind. Uh, World Series wins. The team with the most in the last decade were the Giants with three. Um, I went with the Dodgers. How could I not? You know, they're the Dodgers. There's, I know they have a one one in a million years. They're so well set up. You know, it's money. It's farm system. It's just for the next like five years, who's going to win that division? That's yeah, the Dodgers are. I picked the Yankees, but the Dodgers are probably the right pick. Almost partially because um, the AL East is just generally a tougher. It's just traditionally proven to be a tougher division than the NOS for a variety of reasons. And I think that like um, the Orioles are ascendant to be like a, a really tough raise esque team. I mean, like there's a, like, and, and not to mention the blue Jays are, so I'm like, I'm backtracking my pick. My pick when I tweeted them out the other day was the, the Yankees. But as I think about it now, I'm like, you know, the Dodgers are a better sick. Well, okay. So that, that answers the question I was about to pose to you, which is that you picked the Yankees to have the most world series wins, but the Dodgers to have the most team wins, uh, as did I. Um, now you're, just, now you're just, going back just being like, no, I'll stick with the Dodgers for team wins, obviously. Just like, I don't know, I was, yeah. uh, I, I'll admit I didn't put the most. <laughs> yeah, well, because we're not eligible to win. We exactly. can't win this. Uh, MVPs, like Trout, had three. Um, I went off. In the, the past board. decade. Yes, I went off the board here. I went with Wander Franco. And I know it's nuts. He's 19. He's not in the big leagues yet. He might not even be this year. But I, I can't remember a prospect this hyped since maybe Trout himself. Right, like Wander Franco. Vlad Guerrero was pretty, pretty hyped. Uh, well, yeah, but Franco's more of an all-around player. True. Right. We always talked about Don, uh, Guerrero's defense, and you went with Acuna. Okay. Just because I mean, he's he's sort of like he's already proven himself, and he's still only like twenty-two. Um, and then finally, All-Star games. Um, there were three players tied who made eight of the ten possible All-Star games: Mike Trout, Clayton Kershaw, Yadi Molina. I forgot Yadi Molina had made eight All-Star games. Uh, my pick for the future. Mike Trout, I'm sticking with it. Listen, he's still not that old, right? Mike Trout is going to, I, I joked here, he'll make the next eight on merit and then the following two because he's still Mike Trout. Um, that's fair. Um, I went with Cody Bellinger just because, like, I think there's a chance that by the end of the decade, um, Trout maybe will have, like, faded a little bit and maybe not, be, you know, get the, maybe not quite get there, but um, uh, he's probably as good of a pick as that. Uh, we we did ask some players to pick their vault picks, and one of the guys really interesting. So this is going to be our official Yahoo Fantasy Baseball se- segment. Putting ketchup on a Chicago dog—that's a bad choice. Playing Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of MLB—that's a good choice. Make better choices. Choose Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, rated the number one app by the FSGA. I am a ketchup and mustard on my hot dog kind of guy, but I don't know what Chicago dog is either. Uh, um, I was actually just going to say that I'm actually having my. Uh... The, the fantasy league I've been playing uh, with my league, my friends since 2004, our 17th uh, season, uh, and we've been using Yahoo the entire time. So I'm a, yeah. I'm a, I'm, 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 a, I'm an, uh, 
a, a, a user, I guess. I don't know. It's, I, I enjoy it. I'm excited. Sunday night. Um, uh, looking forward to it. So anyway, we, we've been asking players for their vault pits and we're going to compile them into a story. And of the uh, something jumped out to me of the first four ballots that came in, which is that um, of, of the four ballots, two of them from players named Shane Bieber to win a category, uh, at least one category. One player put it for two categories. Um, and, and, not, and not a teammate of his. And not a, well, part of the rules when we asked the players was this. We said, we want you to make vault picks. You cannot pick your team for the team categories. So basically we said to them, which team besides you, your team is going to win the most World Series? And we said, you cannot pick your teammates in individual categories. But if you do want to pick yourself, knock yourself out. Just to see if anyone would actually pick themselves. No one has picked themselves yet. So anyway, we asked, we asked uh, players. And the pitching categories, of the first four ballots that came in, two of them mentioned Shane Bieber. So we had Nelson Cruz, who I'm kind of surprised didn't pick himself for home runs. So we lead the next day in home Because, <laughs> you know, why not? Um he picked Bieber to lead um, the uh, baseball in strikeouts and the most Cy Young awards of the next decade. Nelson Cruz um, presumably faced him a lot last year in the uh, in the AL Central playing for the Twins versus the Indians. And then Billy McKinney of the Blue Jays picked uh, Shane Bieber for the most wins in the next decade. And then on top of all that, we had a ballot from Cole Tucker. Cole Tucker picked Jack Flaherty, but here was the quote he gave to our re- re- reporter, Adam Berry, wins. Shane Bieber is a sneaky good pick. He's so good and accurate and just nails. I like Bieber or Flaherty. I've got more hits off Bieber than Flaherty, so I'm going to go Flaherty. So in addition to two guys picking Bieber, we had another guy like name Bieber and basically say he was my second choice. And like, I like Shane Bieber. I think he's good. But to me, this was like... I'm I'm trying to look up why you're talking uh, Cruz and McKinney against Bieber. So Nelson Cruz, seven plate appearances, five strikeouts against Bieber. And Billy McKinney, six plate appearances, uh, one walk, one strikeout, one hit. So that's that's not that bad. Uh, but <laughs> well, yeah, that's hey, a great <laughs> um, So, I mean, that got my wheels turning because I was like, you know what? I think Shane Bieber is good. I never thought of him as that good. But if players are saying this, like he's only had two years in the major league. So maybe it's like, oh, this guy's kind of nasty. And maybe he's better than I even – maybe he's even better than I realized. So I went, went looking why he's a good pick. He turns 25 in May. He's at two full seasons. Okay, youth is on his side. Um and then as a pitcher, you know, as, as Cole Tucker said, he's so accurate in nails, as he said, he was sixth in the majors last year among qualifiers in walk rate. But the thing is that none of the guys ahead of them came anywhere close to his strikeout rate. The guys ahead of them in terms of walk rate were Mike Leake, Hyunjin Ryu, Zach Renke, Miles Michaelis, and Kyle Hendricks. He was the only one of those guys of the top six who had a K rate above 20%, and he was at 25.5%. Speaking of which... His K minus walk rate of 25.5 ranked fifth in the majors last year behind Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and Jacob deGrom. Is that what you want? <laughs> I mean, I would have like, I, I, I mean, you know, in terms of like rule of thumb, I'd argue that like K, K rate minus walk rate might be as good of like if you want like a list of. Yeah, what, what that is, it's just the gap between your strikeout rate number and your walk rate. It's like not like that's a it. real number, it's not a percentage, so it's, it's a little confusing. Yeah, but um, it's, it's like how much are you striking out and how few are you walking? And so like to be at the top of the list, obviously you basically, the top four guys are literally the four best players in baseball, and the fifth is Shane Bieber. So okay, so maybe we're on to something. The other thing that's interesting about Bieber when I look at his StatCast profile is that um, he's got a knuckle curve and a slider, and they're very, in terms of their like raw, the data, they're very similar. 
Um, the slider has an 85, is, the average is 85 miles per hour. The spin rate is 2370. The curve is 82.7 miles per hour. The spin rate is 23, 2300. So like they're very similar in terms of mile per hour and spin. And if you go to his baseball savant um, player page, you'll see there's actually these cool things that, uh, that Darren Woman developed where it shows like what the spin on their pitches looks like. And you see that like they actually look kind of similar. And then if you dig a little deeper, you can see visually the curve is much more 12 to 6 while the slider dives away from right-handed pitch, right-handed batters. Um, and then if you look at the way he uses them, he basically uses them in reverse for lefties versus righties versus right-handed batters. Um, he throws his curve 10% of the time and his slider 43% of the time against lefties. The curve is 31% of the time and the slider 9% of the time. So it seems like there's the, the subtle difference between the two pitches is a big part of what he does. He doesn't walk anyone. Um, now I'm kind of all in on Shane Bieber. Unfortunately, in my fantasy baseball auction, he's one of the players who was kept by one of my adversaries, so I can't even go all in on him in the auction this year, which I'm now bummed about. I am vaguely remembering like a year ago or so at this time where I wrote for you like you know four breakout guys for the upcoming season. I definitely had Shane Bieber on that list. I don't remember who the other three were. Don't look them up. <laughs> um, I'm looking now at his, his minor league numbers, and this is what drew him uh, drew me to him last year. He pitched parts of three seasons in the minor leagues uh, before coming up, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio is, this is not a typo, 260 strikeouts, 19 walks. Now, maybe that means you're you know, a little hittable in the minors or whatever, but clearly this guy has uh, elite-level stuff. And I just did like this Cy Young draft with Will Leach that I don't think is run yet, and I had him, I think I picked him 10th. Like tenth overall among ba- uh, pitchers who I think might win the Cy Young this year. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> like, and and the thing is, as much as I like Shane Bieber, I don't even like him the best on his own staff. I like Mike Clevenger. He's not healthy, so that's why I didn't pick him higher. I uh, hurt his knee. But it's you know we keep talking about the Indians. These two guys are awesome, and they're different guys than like two years ago when we said, oh wow, the Indians, Kluber, and Carrasco, and Bauer. I know Carrasco's still there, and now it's Clevenger and. And, and Shane Bieber and also, you know, Aaron Savali and Zach Plezak and whatever. Um, but, yeah, Shane Bieber has a lot more respect from hitters than I would have thought. Like, it says a lot about him that a guy like Nelson Cruz is like, yeah, no, that guy. <laughs> and I, I I love doing player polls like this. When I, back when I used to work at ESPN Magazine, we used to do these, like, what we call confidential. Like, we do NBA confidential, MLB confidential, where we'd ask players. We'd do anonymous. It was anonymous polls, though. We'd ask them a whole series of questions. And similar consequences to this, I remember one year um, we did it and the question was, who's the major league player you'd least want to see in a fight? And this was my, this was like two, this is like 10 years ago. This is like 2009 or so. And like, you never know what you're going to get. And we probably got like 30 responses and 20 of them were Kyle Farnsworth. <laughs> uh, the professor. <laughs> and so we went and did like a, we did like a, we had um, one of our, our feature writers, uh, Luke Cyphers, did like this big feature on like, why is it that like, Half of baseball is so afraid of Kyle Farnsworth. And you may, some fans might remember that, like, back in the day, he had some famous brawl where he just, like, absolutely oh, yeah. trucked Paul Wilson. <laughs> yes. um, um, so this is like when you, you know, when you, when you do these polls of players, you never know kind of what you're going to get. And then, you know, some of the player polls, you know, they're, they're kind of, kind of, you know, the names we're seeing as, as we're getting these ballots come in are kind of obvious. But then again, in some cases, like, the picks are, you know, are pretty pretty obvious like it's a small pool of like guys who feel likely so um this is one that really jumped out at me so i'm uh i'm pretty excited to see how shane bieber does this and i will very i will eagerly be watching his advance against nelson cruz uh opening day is three weeks from today two weeks from yesterday three weeks from yesterday wait do the do the indians open up against the twins why do i feel like they do 
because um, I mean, the one I know the opening, maybe not opening day, the opening week up weekend matchup, uh, aside from everything Astros related that I'm most interested in is you Darvish versus Kristen Yelich. Cause you may remember their little Twitter back and forth. And I know the Cubs and, and Brewers start up against each other. Where do the uh, Indians start off against too? The Tigers. Oh, it's, it's still spring training. All right. <laughs> so we'll get to the twins. Uh, presumably some, they, 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 they play twins uh, April 6th, 7th day. Okay. Uh, so, we, we should mark it on our calendars and figure out what day Bieber is going to pitch. And I, I swear if Cleveland has Bieber missing the twins now, I'm going to be so upset. And um, I'm not sure if I'm rooting for Bieber to make Cruz look uh, foolish or for Cruz to hit a 495 foot bomb off him. I guess it's win-win from our point of view. That is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>